Section 9 of A Second Rubaiyat Miscellany. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Omar Khayyam, Some Verses and an Introduction by W. E. B. Whittaker and Rex Lowenberg. Chester, Philipson and Golder, 1907. This edition has 53 quatrains, printed on one side of the leaf only, and is limited to six sets. There is a dedication, A Deux Amis, F. A. M. Part 1. Introduction Omar Khayyam It is now a matter of no little difficulty to write an introduction to the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam. To each separate edition has been prefixed an introduction telling, in various ways, the same facts concerning his life and works. Every conceivable theological point has been discussed with more or less amplitude. Condemnations and appreciations have come forth by the score, and no new light is shed either on the dim outline of his life or the philosophic value of his work, and it is hopeless for one not thoroughly steeped in Eastern imagery, history and tradition to do more than give briefly the sum of his own opinions in regard to the said verses. It is therefore not the intention of the present writers to do more than that. The few events in Omar's life have become familiar to such of the public as are attracted by the subtle versification of the Master of Moods through the essay prefixed by Mr. Fitzgerald to his edition of the Rubaiyat. It is a matter of doubt whether Omar's life can have been eventful to any extent. He was more famous for the thoughts he had not expressed on paper than for those he had, despite the lingering and wistful haunting beauty of the latter. He had no ambition, as it is now understood, neither did he care to move the world through the medium of politics. His joy was peace. The religious aspect of Omar's works is the most important factor in moralists' judgment of the value of his verse. They read into it what is not there, and fail to see what is there. They see the selfishness, the cynicism, the contempt, and the licentious strain, and pass over the sorrow, the warm-hearted friendship, the unforgetting memory, the resignation, and the aesthetic beauty of the life. Omar was the prince of hedonists. Pleasure was his religion and his life, his work and his play. His creed was simple and beautiful. To speak of the pursuit of pleasure without a qualifying sense of disapproval is, in this modern England, a serious offence to many who still adhere to a puritanically hypocritical view of what they are pleased to call life. Yet surely the pursuit of pleasure is not without its virtues. When a hedonist sees poverty, it naturally jars on his refined artistic sense, and, if he be true to his creed, he will endeavour to remove such signs of misery. The beautifying life is to him a sacred duty, self-imposed, and with its own reward. Each little act of the common day carries with it an artistic sense of grace. Convention is regarded only so far as it conveys an aesthetic value in its rules, and is cast aside when it hampers and destroys the beauty of living. Hedonism is what people name the simple life. In it there is no discordant note and no pain. Here and there comes an act or a thought which appears superficially 
to be a breach of its smooth comeliness, but which is really a purposeful effort to break, by vivid contrast, what might otherwise degenerate into a cloying, oversweet monotony. Omar lived the simple life. His creed was simple. Here is the creed of Omar. I believe in wine and roses. Also I believe in woman. What a foolish thing to do. And in the God that made them, I believe. Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam by Richard Le Gallienne. Wine, to softly fill his mind with magic scenes of beauty, pictures of roseate futures and hidden possibilities where no sorrow would be, and pain would only exist as a foil to increase the ecstatic sensations of joy. Woman to soothe him in his sorrows, to recreate them, and to smooth care away again. Girls were his handmaidens and his queens, his pleasure and hate, all things to all moods. A fair oval face with great round soft eyes and pleading lips hovered in his mind at all times and dictated his every action. God he thought of as one all-kindness, who would never, in a fit of after-rage, destroy even the faulty vessel he had condemned to a brief existence on his earth. In no place can one discover even a faint trace of doubt as to the final forgiveness of the Lord of all. To Omar, God was what he is not to the great majority, a friend to be trusted in silence, and to be left free from vain and querulous importunings. His greatest charm was at the same time his greatest fault. His power was confined to the delicate definition of certain moods of youth. If life were a series of moods, then Omar had mastered the secret of life, but moods are rather the interludes in a life than its foundation. To introspective youth, sorrow is the subtlest form of pleasure, though they know it not. Youth finds, at times, a curious joy in sad reveries of past days, of faded flowers and lost kisses, and in musing glimpses of a future with its promise of fame and pleasure blended with a certain self-conscious self-sacrifice. One is so ready to look forward to a career of sorrow when one is young. It seems so noble, so poetical, so unusual. But age brings with it disillusion and the painful discovery that the world is not impressed by a conscious affectation of sadness and romantic melancholy. The world merely looks and passes on with the words, It will pass away. He is young yet. And when one is old, and consequently wise and virtuous, one thinks and says the same. Omar, on the contrary, was a young man all his life. Through all his days he gazed and smiled on the ways of the world without change. About conventional religion he was gently satirical, about ambition rather dubious, and about fame he was careless. Women and wine he considered as means to an end. His prevailing thought was of the mutability of human life. He could not drink without thinking that the cup would soon be empty. He could not be happy with a friend, because of the inevitable parting. There is no day without its faded flower, nor any joy without its closing hour. This cup of wine, which joyfully you raise, itself will emptied be for all your power. It is said that when Omar was young, he for many days suffered torments of doubt about his future. 
he had great friends who would have helped him if his ambition led in the direction of politics he had others who would aid him as a merchant should he sacrifice his ideals as a poet and the dim possibility of eternal fame and accept the certainty of worldly wealth and position he knew not and there was none to help him at sunset on a hot summer's day omar lay on the flower-strewn banks of a softly flowing river through the sultry hours of the day he had lain and thought of the future and now overcome by the weariness of prolonged mental debate he fell asleep and he dreamed of a fair green country and the sound of soft music filled his ears before him were gates of gold and ivory which fell open as he watched from their portals came a young girl clothed in white with a girdle of precious stones her glorious hair dark as the caverns of the night flowed freely and gracefully over the lithe beauty of her body a crown of crimson roses was on her head and a garland of roses fell from her shoulders in either hand she held a pomegranate swiftly she came to him and gazed on him sadly with a gentle look in her great eyes after a space she said omar the tent-maker i am sent to thee to bid thee make thy choice i bear in my hands two pomegranates the one ripe and full of joy the other green and as yet sour the first over rich will the sooner die and leave no seed the second will mature slowly and spread seed on the face of the earth the first is called wealth and the second poetry choose and he chose the unripe fruit the maiden knelt and kissed him and he awoke to find a rose-leaf fluttering from his lips but that dream decided the course of his life henceforth without fail he would desert the world and find pleasure at the riverside with flowers and girls and so for the remainder of his earthly existence he lived at Neshapur with a flask of wine a book of verse and his little moon his schoolfellows rose to rank and power and did not forget him yet from them he took nothing his fame as a teacher spread into many lands yet he did not influence the smooth passage of his life day after day his magic thought added ruby after ruby to his book of verse and hour after hour his lot became fairer yet at times even with omar pleasure palled and life became empty on such a day he said to a disciple many times as the sun rises on a new day i long for a poison so subtle that i might pass over into the garden of dreams in a peaceful sleep without pain and without sorrow without regret and without envy with a hope of endless sleep among the lilies and roses of that mystic world of dreams and then if in life i failed to attain in death i should achieve my heart's desire what are happiness and love beauty and wealth health and hope dreams 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 and i myself am a spirit unreal in a world of unreality but such moods were only momentary they departed with a cup of wine or a smile from some loved one years before his death he had hoped that his body might lie in a pleasant place with roses growing wild over his tomb 
Ah, with the grape my fading life provide, And wash my body whence the life has died, And in a winding sheet of vine leaf wrapped, So bury me by some sweet garden side. That even my buried ashes such a snare of perfume shall fling up into the air, as not a true believer passing by but shall be overtaken unaware. Fitzgerald. He died at Naishapur in A.D. eleven twenty three, and still the wild roses bloom over his lonely grave. The flowers, sustained by the ashes of his mortal body, still hold the attention of the passer by while the immortal flowers of his imagination hold, and will ever hold, the world in thrall. The authors have endeavoured, as far as possible, to reproduce in the English metre, made popular by the genius of Mr Fitzgerald, such quatrains of the Rubiat of Omar Khayyam as have not previously been rendered in English verse. They have no knowledge of Persian, and are therefore unhampered by any pedantic restriction of the freedom of translation. They have endeavoured to convey the spirit of his work, if not always the form. There is no strict sequence in the arrangement of the quatrains, Omar's moods succeeding one to the other with the breathless rapidity of changing thoughts in the mind of a girl. End of section.